Good morning, Church at Bergen. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. Before I jump into the sermon, I got a couple of quick announcements, and then I'm going to pray. First, uh, on Saturday, March 2nd, we're going to have our first ever men's conference. <laughs> so he's so excited, so we, you better register quickly because actually he's getting filled up. Second, we're going to be starting our uh, How to Study the Bible classes come January 9th. That's going to be Wednesday nights. It's going to be six weeks from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. You can still register, and anybody who does register is going to receive a free workbook for the class. Okay, so let's pray. We are enjoying an encore of the Advent series. We're going to still be in the book of Philippians, verses 12 and 13. Milk all the glory we can out of Philippians 2, and then Pastor Mike will continue to lead us to more glory in other passages. So let me pray, and then we'll dive right in. Sweet Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you are near to us. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that there is grace for us, that you have given us the most sweet and darling Jesus Christ. He is our King and our Lord. He takes care of us. He is good. Thank you for him, Lord. I pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, let me read, and then I'll tell you where we're going. Verse 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is in work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we have four points for today's message. It's going to be gospel sufficiency, gospel love, gospel obedience, and gospel power. First word is going to jump us into our first point, which is therefore. So as I meditated, prayed over, considered this passage more, it reminded me in Philippians Two, it jumps to, in my mind, Acts 16, where the Apostle Paul planted the church with the Philippian jailer, the demon-possessed girl, and Lydia, the businesswoman. Now, if, if you've read other passages of the Bible and considered this, the Apostle Paul, oftentimes when he brings someone to faith, he considers himself like a parent to them, like a spiritual father. And if you have kids or know anybody else that has kids, you know that you don't want to separate and leave your children until they're ready until they are equipped. And yet what is fascinating is that the Apostle Paul will frequently stay in a city for a short period of time and then go to the next city. Now, if a good parent won't leave their children abandoned, how can Paul keep going? This, therefore, I believe, tells us because he believes that the message the gospel message of Jesus Christ is sufficient. He believes he can keep going to the next city because he has given them the greatest message, forgiveness of sins, transforming power, and in the gospel, you get God himself. In the gospel, it is sufficient, not because of Paul or any other person. It is sufficient because you get Jesus Christ he now is in you forever. 
and He is sufficient. And this is even more clear if you think about how dangerous things were back then. First, you have riots against Christians. You have Jews going around and slaughtering and killing Christians. You have the Apostle James, who is already dead. Stephen, who has been martyred. The Apostle Paul is literally in prison when he writes this. The government is persecuting Christians. There are false teachers, false leaders, false doctrine prowling around. The devil himself is trying to devour this new Jesus Christ movement. And this kingdom of heaven is under attack. It has never, there is no other kingdom that has ever been as attacked as the kingdom of Jesus. And yet, Paul leaves them because the message is sufficient. Because he has already said it, verses 5 through 11. What's the big thing? The Advent series, God incarnate, perfect love, perfect obedience, a Savior risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. God himself is watching over his church. God himself in that gospel. And so that means the more dangerous the times are, the more powerful the gospel has to be. This is what Paul believes. This is how Paul can lead them with a clear conscience. Think about this. Ask yourself in your own heart, if you found three new Christians in this crazy new world, how, ask yourself, would you just leave them? How? How can the apostle Paul, he does. He goes to Acts 17, 18, 19, 20. He keeps going. And he's not thinking, oh my goodness, I'm the worst father ever. He believes that he has left them with the greatest thing ever, God himself. And that's sufficient. It's a test for every single one of us. It is a test whether you and I believe the gospel itself is sufficient. Paul would say it is sufficient to guard them for every trial, for every danger, for all that they will go through. I left them with Christ. They are in the hands of God. And the devil cannot destroy them. He could destroy people built on false gospels, but he can never destroy a soul built on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he, Paul keeps doing what he's always been doing. He goes and declares the gospel, and then he says, therefore. He has built his life on the therefore after the gospel message. And then he says, my beloved, this brings us to our second point on gospel love. He doesn't just say beloved. He says my beloved because he is getting us, I believe, at the nature of love. So when you really love someone else, when good things happen to them, it's like good things are happening to you as well. So when you love someone else, their well-being is like your well-being. Their good is your good. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you're married and your spouse wins an award, all of a sudden that good thing for them, you are so connected to them by love, so united that now that good is like your good. Or if you have a child and they find a friend or win a spelling bee, anything good happens to them in their life, and you say, man, that's like, I'm right there with you, buddy. This is awesome. Something so good happened to us. 
us. Because when you love another person, you are vitally connected to them. This is what 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul says in that book. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. When one member is honored, all members now rejoice with it. When you're in this kind of love relationship, now you can create true community. Now you are free to really love and care for someone else. Paul's heart is brimming with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is overflowing and spilling onto his brothers and his sisters that share in that exact same gospel so that they are not two, but one, and they are united in that. And so we begin and are able to start taking pleasure in the good of a fellow saint. That is so practical. That is so helpful. All of a sudden now, our kindness and generosity to another brother and sister is not just good for them. It's good for me. It's good for all. We are called a body. And this is the kind of love that the Apostle Paul is bringing us to so that when you love them, they are part of you. There's a bond. There's a union. Even the gospel itself, if you think about the love of Jesus Christ, when you are in this much love, there is so much goodness from Christ that spills onto us. His righteousness is ours. His being raised up from the dead says it is our being raised up from the dead, our being seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. His good perfected is our good. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us. This is the nature of love. And our unity is not just based on mere desire. Like, hey, let's, let's be connected. No, we, meet in, we all meet in God himself. We meet in Christ, in his cross. We are part of something so special. The body of Christ is amazing. And when we start to realize how united, how connected, we really are, then we can start to see that their good is our good. That frees us to really love someone else. It frees us to create genuine community. And then when outsiders see that, they go, man, what kind of Jesus does this guy have? What kind of Jesus does she have? They want, they want to love each other. And then they're happy when they love them. Man, that's community. That's love. Paul in verse 17 continues the same train of thought. He says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. They're in one another. This is why Paul says, my beloved. They have become part of him. And then he continues. He says, As you have obeyed, always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. This brings us to our third point on gospel obedience. Here's an analogy, I think, of what Paul is saying. This is like the child who grows up in the Christian home. And they grow up, and then they're ready to go off to college, and now the parent is gone. So Paul is saying, in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation. The absence of Paul is supposed to bring out saving grace. Like, I'll give you a couple of illustration questions. So why would the child obey when the parent is around, but not when they're gone? Or if you're married and when your spouse is around, why do you follow Jesus when they're around? But when your spouse is not around, you're not following Jesus. Or if you're single and you're hanging out with your Christian buddies and you're doing the Jesus thing, but when they're not around, you're not following Jesus. This is known as social conditioning. This is the study and psychology of our beliefs. We are social creatures. So we are the product of our social conditioning. Our beliefs and activities will align with our peer group. So if you're raised as the Buddhist, an atheist, a Muslim, a Christian, if you keep hanging out around Buddhists, atheists, Muslims, Christians, you're likely to stay Buddhist, atheist, Muslim, Christian. But think about this. When someone goes off to college, so many times they change what they believe because their peer group changes. So when you have new friends, suddenly what you believe and how you behave are going to match up to that new group. You find yourself in a new situation. So you find yourself doing new things. So listen to me here. This is so important. This means, this is what Paul's getting at. This means that there are some people sitting here that follow and believe Jesus not because you've experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. There are some people that come to church here every Sunday because of social conditioning. There is some person or social structure in your life that if they were gone, you would likely stop following Jesus. And so Paul is calling the Philippians and us to examine our faith, examine why we obey, make sure that it is founded on the saving grace of Jesus Christ alone. Because saving faith is not socially conditioned faith. Saving faith is divinely conditioned faith. Jesus is the only answer and should be and will be the only answer for why you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus because of another human being, that is not saving faith. If that is the ultimate reason, that is not saving faith. I'm not saying people, friends, family are not helpful. I'm saying if they were gone, would your faith be gone too? And what's crazy is that people with socially conditioned faith might not even realize they have socially conditioned faith. They're not walking around lying to everybody. They literally think that they believe in Jesus, and they do, but they believe in him for the wrong reason. They believe in him because of another human being. Like Paul is saying, now that I'm gone, in my absence, work out your salvation. Make sure, make sure that you're obeying now that I'm gone. Because don't just be following Jesus because I'm an apostle. Now, in your life, that's a way to test for this. Paul is giving us the test. 
He is saying, here's the test, guys. If that person or structure or whatever is gone, will you keep following Jesus? Will you keep going after Jesus? Or will you stop? If you say, yeah, if they were gone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go to church anymore. That's a test that you failed. So Paul is pressing against all forms of just mere socially conditioned faith. This is why he says, in my absence, work out your own salvation, your own salvation. There are so many things that we believe because of social conditioning. But what is amazing is that Jesus Christ can go underneath all the social conditioning and create genuinely divine saving faith. Jesus has given us so much more than socially conditioned faith. He's given us the kind of faith that will follow him when nobody else is looking. Never take for granted that God has given you the kind of faith that will follow Jesus till the final breath, that will never give up the glories of having Jesus Christ. And then he says, work it out with fear and trembling. There's two ways to consider fear. So first, there's the negative fear, absolute terror. For example, when you think of fear, you typically think of something in the future that's scary and it's really hard to get away from. So an example might be somebody that catches malaria. All of a sudden, they're wondering if they're going to even survive. Or another kind of fear might be something that lasts a long time and has no remedy. You cannot get away from it, and it lasts forever. That is the most terrible fear imaginable. That is someone who has just died and gone to hell. That is the worst and most horrible, awful, terrible kind of fear that is possible, where all hope is gone, everything good is gone. God has said, you're my enemy forever. That kind of fear is fully answered fully removed, fully gone in Jesus Christ. All of it. And it's not because we've achieved it, and it's not because we've accomplished it. It's because Jesus has accomplished it. He has achieved it, and we just join Jesus by faith alone. That fear is gone in Christ Jesus. So he is not talking about that kind of fear. In fact, if you really think about it, he says, work out your salvation with fear. He's recommending fear. So it's not the kind of fear that paralyzes us and hinders us and stops our activity. I believe the kind of fear, because he links it with obedience, is the kind of fear that doesn't want to fall short of our truest potential. The kind of fear that says, I want more of God in my life. I want to look like more of Jesus. He's been so good to me. I don't want to fail, not in the sense that I'm crushed, but like I, have, I could do more. I know I could do more. It's the kind of life that fears not living worthy of this grace, not living worthy of this gospel. It's the kind of fear that makes us think more, the kind of fear that makes us stop in our tracks and say, man, 
ah, I got to get away from this because Jesus doesn't want me to do this. I, I know I could be more faithful to him. I can love Jesus better. I need to pray more and seek him. Not because we earn salvation, but just because it's a good fear. It's a helpful and productive fear. It's the kind of fear that doesn't want to miss out on all that God could do in our lives. It says something like, man, he's given me so much love. He's treated me with so much dignity. He's created so much value in my life. He watches over me. He cares for me. Ah, oh, I want to do more for him. He, oh, he's faithful. I always want to serve him better. I love him. I fear that I would squander the Holy Spirit. Fear that I would miss out on all the potential and privilege. I only get this one life to live. I fear about that. I, would, I want to do more. I want to love him more faithfully. That's the kind of fear I believe because he recommends it. He says, work it out with that fear. And he doesn't say to work for it, guys. He says to work it out. We already have it. Now he's given us the muscles to work out. So it's a positive fear. It doesn't devolve into start saying things like, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I'm not acceptable. It's not that kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that's built on the gospel. So that the gospel hinders all that I'm not loved talk. It hinders all that despair. It produces, the gospel produces, and it's a holy, helpful, productive fear that has the right effect. So Paul says, guys, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do it with fear and trembling because you want to be more faithful. Verse 13 now brings us to our last point. He says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is our last point on gospel power. Let me open this awesome passage with a quote. He says, this author John Owen says, He does not so work our mortification in us as not to keep it still an act of our obedience. The Holy Spirit works in us and upon us and is, as we are fit to be wrought in and upon, that is, so as to preserve our liberty and free obedience. He works upon our understandings, our wills, conscience, affections, agreeable to our own natures. He works in us with us, not against us and without us, so that his assistance is an encouragement as to the facilitating of the work and no occasion of the neglect to the work itself. Do you guys see what he is saying? He's saying, first, guys, it's God's work, most basically God's work. But when he's working in you to kill sin, he does it in a way that it's still your obedience. He does it in a way that preserves our liberty, preserves our free obedience. He's working on your will, conscience, affections, understanding, not against you, not without you, through you, so that he keeps your obedience intact. So this is the best position, really. I'll explain why. First position, God does everything. You just sit there and it gets done. You don't obey, you don't do anything, and you vanish. You're gone. You're like, you don't even talk about yourself because God does it all. You just sit there. That's like a, it's like a kid who has a school project. And they got stuff to do. They fall asleep. The parent goes and does the whole thing. The kid didn't even do anything. So it was just totally the parent. The other extreme is like God puts this big backpack, throws it on your back, and loads it up with all this spiritual stuff, and then points at the mountain and says, all right, buddy, I'll see you later. Have at it. Or if you think about that child school project, it's like the kid now has the project to do. The parent gives them the scissors, the marker, the paper, the glue. And he says, hey, 
make sure you do a good job. All right, good luck, buddy. And then walks away. <laughs> now, the kid, this little kid has scissors and glue. Scissors and glue, guys, with little kids. That's danger. <laughs> that's problems. So now, that's just as bad. If God does everything, you don't exist. If God leaves us, then we're in trouble. We're all out there all by ourselves. So this quote following the Apostle Paul says, no, it's more like this. It's more like, okay, the kid has the project, but the parent is right there with them. He's, you know, giving them hugs when they're scared, encouraging them, facilitating them. And then when they're confused, the parent there to teach him. When they need help, the parent is there to encourage and guide them. When the kid's hungry, the parent is there to feed them. They need to use the glue. The parent's going to help them a little bit. So that not even for like one second is the kid really in danger, where it's serious. But the kid is still involved. But the parent is critical now. The parent, without the parent, the kid could not have done this. But the parent never smothers the child. He never takes the marker from their hand. He always guides in a way that the creativity of the child is kept intact. That's like our obedience. God works in us in a way, but still keeps our obedience intact. And that child has the best parent. We have the best parent. And so when the Holy Spirit is working in us, he always does it in a way that keeps our obedience intact. So it's not the, the backpack to the mountain by yourself, and it's not the parent that goes and does all, everything, and you don't exist. The Bible always does this. I love this. this is, uh, I love this. The Bible always does this. It takes the strangest position that you really don't understand. It says, well, it's not God alone or man alone. It's both. How? I, well, you don't really need to know exactly how. Just know that's the way it is. So it's two people somehow at the same time. We just have to say, that's amazing, God. <laughs> that's amazing. So when he comes, guys, he never, he never takes away from who we are and restricts us. He brings out the best in us. When the Spirit comes and lives in us, we don't stop being a person. And God doesn't stop being a person. It's two people at the same time. I don't fully understand that, but that is amazing. That is, in the Bible, we only believe this because the Bible tells it. But isn't that an amazing thing that the Bible does? Because it's not human. God doesn't say, well, you only have these human categories, so I'm going to stick there. The Bible says, actually, I have another category. You guys don't really understand this, but I'm just going to tell you that's the way it is. And so what do we do? We're like little kids. We just believe it. So the Christian life is not like you're on that journey with the backpack out there all by yourself. It's so much more personal. God is with us every single step of the way, guys. He's there to encourage us, teach us, love on us, guide us, help us when we're sad and we're despairing and we bumped our knees and we're crying. He's there to give us a hug and watch over us and tell us there's a better day coming in the future. This is the best power. It's the only power worthy of what you want to call power. This is God. And Paul doesn't even tell them this because he wants to give them some big theological statement. He just wants to say, God's with you. 
Let me give you some encouragement. God is right there with you. He not only did the best thing, but the best thing is literally working inside of you. God's gospel is there in you. His gospel power, it's not just out there, it's in there. And he's in there working day and night. So that in verse 12, he says, obey. And then in verse 13, it says, in God's power. God is the ultimate one. And we walk and run on his coattails in his power so that we're never crushed because we're out there all by ourselves. And yet he gets all the glory for it. It is the best possible position. In a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. This is the same thing said a different way. <laughs> He's like, man, I worked so hard. But actually, you know, it really wasn't even me. It was God's grace in me. This is so practical because on those couple times, guys, when you actually did right, <laughs> When you actually did a good job for God's glory, you're not crushed by that saying, yes, I did it. You're saying, actually, that wasn't even me. That was God. So you could stay humble and be faithful, not crushed. And then at the same time, when you're despairing and you're weak, there's grace outside of us. We can always keep going back for more and more grace. He is right there with us. We're not crushed by our own self-dependence. We're not crushed by God working in us. God gives us the very best position. And when he works in us, he's wise, kind, good. His plans for our lives are, are wise and good. This is so practical because when you have someone awesome in your life, it creates confidence. When the most wonderful, amazing person in the entire universe says, I want to live with you, there's hope, there's peace, there's love. Because, guys, we all have the fear that we will be totally ignored in this world, that nobody knows about us, that we are out there and we're lonely and we're failures and we're crushed by it. That's the fear that all of us have. And this passage is saying, that's not true. God knows you. God's with you. He wants to be with you. He doesn't get sick and tired of you. He's always there. And he wants to encourage you and love on you, create hope and peace. There could be, there's nothing more practical than that. In closing, let me read a quote from an author who is, he was a, a Holocaust survivor. He was, he was in the death camps of Auschwitz. And he was an unbeliever. But he saw this power up close. He saw other Christians in the death camps of the Holocaust. And so he said this. In Auschwitz, here, nothing unheard of occurred, but only what God-believing men had always expected, or at least considered possible. Their kingdom, in any event, was not here and now, but the tomorrow and someplace, the very distant tomorrow of the Christian. The believer was part of a spiritual continuity that was interrupted nowhere, not even in Auschwitz. 
he's both more estranged from reality and closer to it than his unbelieving comrade. He's closer to reality because for just this reason, he does not allow himself to be overwhelmed by the conditions around him. And thus he can strongly influence them. I didn't want to be one of my believing comrades, but I wish to be like them. Unshakable, calm, strong. You have an unbeliever seeing Christians and he's saying, I want to be like these people. They are unshakable. They are strong and calm. They're part of this other world that doesn't even stop in Auschwitz. I see, he saw the gospel power of Jesus. He didn't know what to call it, but he could see the power of God in their lives, in the darkness, the beauty and power of Jesus Christ shone right there. And he said, these people, what do they have? They're unshakable. This is amazing. And this is an unbeliever that sees us and doesn't know what to do with this. That same gospel is in every one of us. It is that same Jesus Christ with us. This is why Paul says, God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's there with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is amazing. There is more reality than we know of, God. We could never grasp in our tiny little minds how much you really love us. But you do. And so we live there. We stay there. We walk there. Thank you so much for all that you do, Lord. Without you, we would be defeated. Without you, we would be nothing. But because of you, we have everything. Thank you, Jesus. Give us strength to walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen.